You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we uh, continue in our series, Real Talk, the uh, message today is entitled, Called to Make a Difference. Called to Make a Difference. I was talking with someone in my office uh, this week, and they were telling me about a friend that they had been uh, chatting with who had gone through a difficulty in their life and got hurt probably somewhere along the way in a church, and, and they decided that their faith from then on was just going to be a personal thing. It was going to be a thing just for them, and, um, and they weren't really going to worry too much about whether they ever went to church again, or it was just between them and God. Um, and, and there is a sense where that's true. There is a sense where our faith is very personal. Uh, that, that part of your faith where you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, there may be other people who are involved in it and are part of the process. It might be family. It might have been a church. But, but the reality is one day we'll stand before God uh, by ourself. And it, it won't be the faith of your parents or the faith of the church that you attended. It'll be what you did with the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you come to the place of understanding your sinfulness and your need of a Savior and and where you came to that place of putting your trust in Christ alone for your salvation? So there is a a part of our faith that obviously is very personal, but uh, there's the reality of our faith that it's to be lived out publicly. There's a reality of our faith that we need one another in the church to spur each other on to love and good deeds and not forsake getting together, but how can we help and and motivate in true fellowship of of doing life together? Um, The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. It was meant to be lived um, in in, in fellowship, and and that's what we're called to, and that's what we seek to do as followers of of Jesus Christ. I was thinking uh, this week, what's, a, what's kind of a picture of that, that it's not, um, it can't be lived alone. There needs to be a public part to this. And I got thinking about, you know, when, when you're a guy and you're growing up and you get into junior high, grade seven, eight, nine, ten, high school, and, and one day you look across the room and you, you see that girl. And your heart starts to flutter like it's never fluttered before and your hands get all sweaty, and it's, it's after that time, after you uh, met her, and obviously found out she's a believer, right, because you wouldn't be dating her otherwise, but you, uh, you said, would you go out with me? And, and she said, yes, and after you pick yourself up on the floor, because no girl's ever said yes before, and, uh, and then after one or two times, it's like we're kind of in a relationship, and whatever that means today, but, but we're, you know, we're what do you want to do? You want to tell everybody. You want people to know. There's a relationship that's formed. It's not something you hide. It's, it's not a secret. Here's a warm thing I'd say to the ladies in the room. If you ever out, asked out by a guy on a date and after date number one, and he's saying, but don't tell anybody. Okay, run like crazy from that guy. He's one messed up soul, and uh, you don't really want to have very much to do with that. So, because we, 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 we want people to know. We want people to know about relationships. We want people to know what God has done in our lives. And, and, and so, as we talk about this text today, as we talk about what Jesus says here today, 
Uh, there's, a, there's a reality of, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want everyone to know. Our Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. And so we, we uh, come to the place of understanding that there are some things we're called to. And so the message today is for every single person in the room who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's not one of you who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that this message isn't directly aimed at. It's for you and 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 all you people back out there. It's for you as well. It's for me. There's no dodging the bullet on this one. Um, you might come in a couple of weeks and we'll be talking about Jesus teaches about murder. And you're like, well, I guess I'm off the hook this week a little bit, right? This message isn't like that. This message is for you. And, um, and so we're going to see it. It's in Matthew 5. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we uh, read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the challenge of it. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples today is for us, Lord, would you give us ears to hear and minds to understand? And then, Lord, through the power of your Spirit, change our hearts where we need to be corrected, where an adjustment needs to be made, where, Lord, you need to do that work. God, we ask that you would do it and do it for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you remember that... Um, Jesus was um, out doing his public ministry. He was becoming pretty popular. And, and, and in the midst of all of that, he goes up onto the uh, mountain and um, hit the disciples follow him. And the Bible says that he, he sits down through this whole sermon, chapters 5, 6, 7. He's sitting down as he teaches them. And uh, last week, we took a look at the Beatitudes. Uh, the blessed are you, joyful, satisfied, fulfilled are you. Um, at the end of the message, I, I read this. Um, we think happiness is to be rich. And Jesus said the happy ones are those who are poor in spirit or understand their unworthiness. We say happiness is not to be sad. And Jesus says those who mourn over their sin will be happy. We say that the powerful are happy. And Jesus says that the meek and humble and merciful and peacemakers, they're the ones who are happy. We say it's those who are able to indulge in whatever vice they want and get away with it who are happy. Jesus says it's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and who are pure in heart who are happy. We think we're happy if we lead a life where everyone thinks we're wonderful and everyone looks up to us. And Jesus says the happy ones are those who are persecuted, who are reviled, those who are insulted and have evil things that are said against them. All of those are character traits that we are to go after as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and that was last week's message. Well, then Jesus now moves into two imperatives. 
uh, two imperatives. These aren't optional things for us. And so this is not a message where you're like, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I can take it or leave it. There's no take it or leave it wiggle room in what Jesus is about to say. In the text, he says, you, personal, speaking to those who are there, you are, that's the imperative part. It's not, there's no wiggle room, the. And then he says two different things. You are, you are the. Jesus never challenged us to become salt or light. You're not challenged in the Bible to become salt. You're not challenged in the Bible to become light. In this text, Jesus says you are. It's who you are in Jesus Christ. And that's why it's for everyone in the room and why there's no wriggle room. He simply said we are. And we're either fulfilling or failing in that given responsibility. And so he paints two pictures for us. The first one is as salt to flavor the world. You are the salt. We are salt to flavor the world. And so there's a couple of um, maybe misconceptions or 2016 realities we need to bring into this text so we understand uh, what's being talked about. First of all, in our house, we're doing everything we possibly can to get salt out of our diet. Every tin I open up is just filled with salt. All of our food has already got preservatives. It's all, we get more salt without even putting salt on anything uh, than we need. And, uh, and so our goal is how do we get it out? We, we have salt shakers in our house. Very seldom do they ever even get used because we get lots of salt. That wasn't true in their day. Uh, there was no, um, there was no prepackaging. There was no, your, your soup can is filled with salt. They, they added salt to things and they needed to. And that was okay. The second thing that's in this text that may be a little bit confusing for us, especially in North America, it says, what good is the salt except to be thrown down on the path? I think in about one month from now, I'm going to be taking salt out of my garage and throwing it down on the path so I don't slip and crack my head on the ice. All right? So that's not the picture that we have there. They didn't have that issue. And so our view of salt today maybe is a little bit skewed compared to what they understood about salt. Salt was very important to them. As a matter of fact, when the law was being given back in Leviticus, Leviticus 2.13, it says, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall, not let the, you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from the grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. And then in talking about the way we speak to each other, Paul in the book of Colossians says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. We are to be the flavor in our world. We are to be the salt in our world. Not an optional thing, not a I'll take it or leave it thing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to it. Uh, three things that they would have understood about salt. The first one, they would have understood that it was a preservative. And um, as a matter of fact, a lot of the salt that they used back in that day would have been used to preserve their food. They didn't have canning. They didn't have flash freezing. They didn't have drying things. They didn't have so many of the things we had. And so things would be preserved by using salt. And the second thing they would know about salt was salt had value. Salt was often used as a, as a means for trade. Um, Roman soldiers, they understood about Roman soldiers uh, when Jesus was alive, they would sometimes get paid in salt. 
or they would talk about that their salary would, would allow them to buy salt because it had value. If you're over 40 here in the room, you have probably heard the statement, that guy's worth his salt. That's where this comes from. Um, it, it had value for them. It was used in trade. As a matter of fact, the word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which um, also means salary. Now, the root is sal, which comes from salt. Um, so every time you get paid, you get your salary. It's because you're worth your salt. And so when, when Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, they had some things that that meant to them. And then Jesus zeroes in on one of them in the text when he says, you are the salt of the earth if the salt has lost its taste. And so this is where the flavor of salt. And then Jesus is saying that, that, that salt would be used to put flavor into the food. And, um, and as I said, today in our society, we're trying to get it out because there's so much salt in it. When you go to the movie theater and you buy popcorn, you have to buy at least a gigantic pop or something to go with it. Why? Because it's got salt in it and you start eating it and you can't drink enough, right? And so, so salt was used to flavor their food and, and they were very aware of that. But the text says, but if the salt has lost its flavor or lost its saltiness, it says that right in the middle of the text, um, so what do we know about salt? Well, salt is sodium chloride. If you're a scientist in the room, please forgive me. Uh, but the formula for that is N-A-C-L. N-A-C-L. Um, and and it, it kind of makes this. Pure salt. Table salt. If, if you were to take this and put it in a cupboard and come back three years later, it will still be salt. This salt doesn't lose its saltiness. It, it will always be salt. It's basically pure N-A-C-L. Um, and so they knew about salt that was kind of like this. It might not have been as pure as this is, but, but they also knew about what was, what was known as sea salt. And sea salt was 85.6% pure salt. And that would have been what came through evaporation. And it was kept pretty pure, and they would use that. And it very seldom became unstable and didn't lose its saltiness. But they also knew about what's called rock salt. And rock salt was the mineral form. It was formed where salty waters dried up. They had various forms of impurity in it. And often it was mixed with plant material. Um, uh, Barnes in the, the Bible notes um, says this. In eastern countries, however, the salt used was impure or mingled with vegetable or earth substances so that it might lose the whole of its saltiness and a considerable quantity of earth matter would remain. This was good for nothing, except that it was used in places in paths or walked, walks as like gravel. This kind of salt is common still in that country. It's found in the earth, in veins or layers, and salt marshes rather than by evaporation of salt, and, and therefore contain many impurities. The actual salt being more soluble than the impurities could be leached out when exposed to the sun and rain and lose its saltiness. And that's what the Lord is saying. Don't lose your saltiness. So really, that's not the point of what he's trying to make, other than say, you want to stay away from that as far as possible. This salt would also be put onto the pathway because it would kill the vegetation. It wasn't totally useless, but it wasn't being used for what it was really designed for. And the Lord is going for, I want you to be used for what you were designed for. So we got our salt, and we got it, but it's not much good if it's in the salt shaker. 
It's got to get out of the salt shaker. It's only good on contact. As long as it's in here, I don't taste it. As long as it's in here, it has no real effect. The salt has to come out and it has to go on because then it's when the flavor will come. And so we're called to be salt. As followers of Jesus Christ, as the disciples Jesus is teaching, we're called to be salty people. Well, what would that look like? Um, I wrote down uh, four words that I thought it might look like. There may be some that I didn't get, but now here's first. The first one I wrote down was wisdom. People who are salty, people who are flavoring their world. The Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And so as the ones who have the wisdom of God in us from the word of God, uh, we're supposed to use that as salt. And it needs to get out. You don't hold it inside We need to be communicating to people. Another picture would be truth. Bringing the truth of God's word to people. You know, it really doesn't matter that much what I think or what my opinion is on the most recent thing. What does God's word say about that thing? And can you think of anyone that you talked to this week other than someone who's in church where you use the truth of God's word to explain to them? When you actually went back to, you know what? The Bible says something about this. And you use God's word. Why? Because we're salt. You are the salt, the flavor of the earth. And so we have wisdom. We have truth. And then we do it in love. And we bring the message that we bring. Not just truth coming down on somebody because that is, that's brutality but rather mixed with the right amount of love, we bring the truth to someone. And why? Because we're the flavor of the earth. You. You. You are the salt of the earth. Now that won't always be easy. Because sometimes the message we bring will be rejected. Um, and and so, so the Bible talks about not salt, but it talks about the words we say and the impact it'll have. And, and sometimes people will receive it. And sometimes when we're salt, what we have to say will be like a stench to people. Um, it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance of death to death. And sometimes when we are the salt, the taste you're going to leave in somebody's mouth isn't going to be good. The taste they're going to get is not what they want. Because why? Well, because they're not, they're not seeking after God. They don't want the truth from God's word. They don't want the wisdom from God's word. They don't want the love of Christ demonstrated to them. And so I would be foolish to present to you some position of this that says when you're salt, it'll always be sweet. It'll always be exactly what people want. There'll be lots of times where they'll resist and they'll question and they'll wonder. And that's okay. And we're to be faithful. We are to be salt. But as long as it's in the shaker, it's not having any impact. The flavor doesn't come out until you put it on something. The taste isn't there until it's out of the shaker and onto your meal, until it's into someone's life. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? Other than be poured out onto a pathway to get rid of some crazy little weeds. But that's not what God has for you. And so Jesus starts out with this imperative when he says, you, 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 me, you are 
the salt. It's not something you strive for. It's who you are in Jesus Christ. You don't get to go, I don't think I'm going to be salt today. I don't think I'm going for that today. I think I'm going to be on my agenda today. That's not what Jesus is saying to them here. Saying you are the salt. We need that salt because the world is decaying. The world is rotting. And we are the flavor of Christ you are the salt of the earth. And Jesus goes on in the text, and the second point of the message is as light to illuminate the darkness. Look at verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In John 1.5, the Bible says, the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If darkness is the absence of light, then light's defined as the agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. And so we are the light. I read this this week about it. said, darkness in both the Old and New Testament is a powerful word. When you see darkness used, it's often used of evil and the working of Satan. Um, if light symbolizes God, faith, or holiness throughout Scripture, darkness connotes everything that is anti-God, the wicked, and judgment, and death. Salvation brings light to those who are in darkness. But in no way is there ever the thought in Scripture that darkness is equal to the power of God's light. And so the text here says, you are the light of the world. Now, John 3, 19. So you want to go home and read some great verses this afternoon? Go home, start reading about verse 14 of John 3, and you get to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then verse 18, then you come to verse 19. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I'm called to be light in a dark, dark world. Well, as I was thinking about this, I, I wrestled with this a little bit, I got to admit, because I'm, 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 I'm thinking that, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus is the light? If, if, if Jesus is the light, how can I be the light? Um, in John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. She said, you'll have the light of life. And, and so the reality of what Jesus is saying, the light of life that you have in it now is yours to transmit out to the world that has no hope. The answer to the world, the true light, is Jesus Christ. But I have the light of life, and I'm to be a transmitter of it. I'm to be the one who's shining out who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. Now, keep your finger in Matthew 5 and, and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because this is a text that kind of helps me to understand this a little bit better. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. Here's what it says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation, the message of shining the light. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are Christ's representatives, just like um, Canada has uh, ambassadors all around the world, and they represent our country there. We, we are the ambassadors. We are the ones sending the message for, uh, for Jesus Christ into our world. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Oh, are you kidding? What an amazing opportunity and what a huge responsibility that God chooses to use us to shed the light all throughout the world. You are the light of the world. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, during the Second World War, one of the things that they tried to do in the cities at nighttime was get all the lights turned off. Because if you get the lights turned off, uh, then the bombers that were flying over wouldn't be able to target uh, nearly like they could if the lights were on. They didn't have laser. They didn't have all the things we have today. And if you get everything dark, people couldn't see. Well, you couldn't. It's impossible to make the whole city dark. And, uh, and so the text says a city set on a hill uh, cannot be hidden. So we've got this idea of a city on a hill, but we've got this idea of light shining in the darkness. And, and so the reality is, uh, here's a flashlight that uh, we had when we lived up in uh, Muskoka. Uh, when we lived in Muskoka, the power would go off fairly regularly, especially in the winter. And, and so we knew exactly where three or four of these were in our house because the power was, it wasn't if it was going to go off, it was just when it was going to go off. And so uh, when I, I needed an illustration of light shining, and I thought, we'll go find those flashlights in our house. We looked all over the place to find a flashlight, first of all, that worked. Because we don't use flashlights down here. The power's gone off, I think, maybe twice in nine years that we've lived here. And, uh, and so I found one. It's like, just like this one. It's red. I turned it on, and I didn't turn it on because the batteries were dead. And then we found this one, and we turned it on, and the light wouldn't have shone to George because um, the batteries were almost dead. So got some batteries out and put them on because this is the picture of what we are. You are the light of the world. You and you and you and you. And I said I was going to find somebody who was asleep and shine it right in their face <laughs> until they woke up. This is what you are. You are, the, you are the light of Jesus Christ. This is not an optional event for followers of Jesus Christ. Am I bugging you? You're starting to get ticked off with that thing shining in your face? You are the light of the world. Now, let your light shine is what Scripture teaches us. It's, it's what we're called to. Well, what kind of light? Well, the light of righteousness in us. What God has done in saving us, uh, putting his righteousness on us and taking our sin and putting it on Jesus Christ. Uh, people need to know about that. The righteousness that we walk in, the integrity with which we walk. Followers of Jesus Christ ought to have an integrity that leaves the rest of the world in the dust. Your yes should be yes, your no should be no, your word should be as good as any signed document, and because we need to be people of integrity. Why? Because we are representing, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. The light of discipleship. 
to be able to build one another up. That's what Jesus is doing here. It said, and those disciples, those were being disciplined. They sat down and they were being taught. And, and so we need to shine as those who are discipling people, helping them grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we need to shine the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You are his ambassador. God making his appeal through you. So how's your light shining? How are, how are you doing in this area? Because it's not an option. It wasn't to try it on if you want to. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Have you told your kids how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Could your kids tell me your salvation story? You're the light of the world to your family. Could, could they explain that you sat down with them one day and said, you know what? I was so messed up. And, and, and whatever your story is, someone came, they took me to church, a co-worker came alongside and talked to me about the Lord and explained to me that, that I was a sinner separated from God and how you resisted it. And, and then over time, you listened and you watched and you understood that truly you were a sinner and you understood that Christ came and he died for you and and you understood that you couldn't fix that problem, although you had worked so hard to try and get it right. And, and then you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. See, you are the light of the world. You're the light to your family. You're the light to your neighbor. You're the right light to your friend. You're the light to your coworker. Jesus didn't say, you know what? If next Thursday you want to try this on and see how it works out, you do it. He didn't say that. He said, you are. You are. How's your light shining? The text in uh, verse uh, 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. So you have to picture Jesus is sitting there, he's teaching them, and he says... A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And um, so there, from where they were sitting, you could see the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. We've been there. We've seen it. You're up on this big hill and looking out. And, you know, I wonder what they understood Jesus was saying. Did they, know, knowing that Jesus, although he was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, Nazareth was a city that was on a hill. I mean, you can't hide it. At nighttime, you can see it. You're walking home and it gets to be dark. You get to see the lights that are of the city. Maybe he was talking about Nazareth. Maybe he was talking about Capernaum. Capernaum was just down off of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, up on a bit of a hill. And maybe for the fishermen, they're coming home late in the afternoon. It's starting to get dark. And they don't have all the tools we have today. And so they would see the light of the city and they would know where home was. Uh, maybe Jesus, as he was talking, he pointed across the, the, the Sea of Galilee to a small community across the corner of the lake and said, you see that over there? You can't, you can't hide that. Maybe Jesus was talking about a place that was called Safet back then. Today it's called Safed, the city in Israel, in, in Galilee. It's the highest point in the nation. And on this point is this city that's today called Safed. And, and, and he goes, you know what? You can't hide a city that's on a hill. And the light of Christ in you must not 
cannot be hidden. Sometimes when Sue and I are driving home after being away, it's nighttime, maybe we're coming up from the Niagara Peninsula and uh, driving around the lake, we, we're always looking for, where's Toronto? Where's Toronto? It's nighttime, you're, you're looking for the lights. I got a picture they're going to put up on the screen, I hope for you, of the city of Toronto looking across the lake. Guess what? You can't hide that. You can't hide it. If we're coming down from the north, we're, we're talking about and waiting till you come over that first rise where you can see the city. See, that's what Jesus is talking about. Your faith, what he's called you to, your testimony. It's not to be hidden. It can't be hidden. In the next verse, he says this, um, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Why? Because that would be stupid. Why do you light a light and put it under a... The light's supposed to shine, right? You light a lamp, you don't put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light into the whole house. You know, the funny thing, when the power would go off in Muskoka, we only really used the flashlights till we found the candles. And we'd light some candles and then turn the flashlights off because you needed light that would fill the house so you could get around and, and do what you needed to be able to do. And Jesus is saying, your light, it's not to be hidden. It's not to be hidden. Your light is to shine. Your salt is to be used on contact to make a flavor. Jesus goes on in verse 16 talking about the light. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven so that they may see your good works. I was driving down Macauan the other day and a police car pulls up beside me and fortunately he wasn't pulling me over although I probably deserved it but he pulled up beside me and on the side of every police car in York Region it says deeds speak, right? Try that again. And every police car in York Region when you pull up you look at it it says deeds yeah, deeds speak. Deeds speak. And that's what Jesus is saying here that people will see your good works The deeds that you have, the things that you are doing, they speak volumes. They speak volumes of who you are. They speak of your character. And they speak of how highly you view your Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he says in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and and glorify you and pat you on the back and tell you what an amazing person you are and how good it is to be with you. And Okay, wait a minute, it doesn't say any of those things so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Maybe you serve an Awana in our church. And if you're like, if one more snotty-nosed kid comes up to me, I am so out of here, never coming back again. And no, 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 no. Let your deeds speak so that they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. I struggle with this just like everybody else does. My pride gets in the way. I want to be the person people go, well, look, Pastor, you did a great job. Thank you so much. And I struggle with it just like you do. But that's not the goal. That's not the goal of the text. That's not what we're going for. Jesus says, so they will see your good works. They will be an example. They will be a model. They will be out there. And what will they do? They will glorify God. Your life, the salt, your light, your works, not works to save you, 
That's done through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But the works we do because of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. Deeds speak. That we be people with moral excellence so that people will look and they will see what God has done and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So counterculture. All those things we saw last week, so counterculture. And now Jesus continues on the counterculture thing, except now he's talking about some imperatives for us. He says, you let your light shine. That they'll see, they'll observe your good works. And what will they do? They'll give glory, they'll give glory to God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, Paul wrote in Corinthians. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, the unsaved people, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they pick at you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Remember, you are the salt. You are are the light. And people are watching. People are looking. Your kids are observing. Your neighbors are watching you every day and seeing. And They don't expect you to be perfect. But are they seeing things in you that demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ that you have? Is it making any difference? Can you look back over this week and go, I can see where the Lord gave me an opportunity to be salt right there, or the Lord gave me an opportunity to be light right there, and, and you spoke the word of truth to someone, or you demonstrated the gospel to someone, or you shared the good news with a family member or a neighbor, and you were the salt and the light. It's not an option. It's an imperative. We're called to it. We need to be salt because the world is in decay. We need to be light because the world is filled with darkness. Well, so what? So what? Jesus is sitting with the disciples and he's laying down the truth for them and some of them would walk away and others would take hold and become followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus never challenged us to become salt and light. He simply said that we are. And we're either fulfilling or failing in that given responsibility. Salt is needed because the world is rotting and decaying. And if our Christianity is rotting and decaying, it'll be of no use. Light is needed because the world is in darkness. And if our Christian, Christianity imitates the darkness, it'll have no impact in our world. We can never affect the world for Jesus Christ by being like the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You may be the only salt. You may be the only flavor of Jesus Christ someone ever Taste. You are the light. And you may be the only light of Christ that someone ever sees. Let your light so shine 
that people will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who wanted to be his disciples. And Father, this message primarily is for people who are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus lays it out really clear and really plain for them. It's not something you can decide to step into if you want. It's not something you can put on for one day and then take off for the next six days of the week. This is who we are in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would work in every heart in this room. Because this message is for everyone who has heard it today. And where have we fallen short in being salt? And really our usefulness, we're just like stuff thrown on a path to keep the weeds down. But God, that's not what you've called us to. And Lord, maybe we've taken our light and we've hidden it so that no one can see it. God, it's not like that. We're to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Oh God, I pray that you would begin that work in me. That I would never, never be used in such a way that the work is useless or that the work is hidden but rather, Lord, that the flavor would be strong and it would make a difference. The light would shine and people would see Jesus Christ. Lord, as you do that, work in me. Do that in our church. The person who's under conviction for somebody this week, they had an opportunity to share the gospel with and they walked past it, Lord. Give them a passion. Because we are. We are the salt. We are the light. It's the way you've chosen to reveal yourself through your word in our day. God, take us. Use us for the glory of your name, for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen.